At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Greg Peterson here, and welcome to the 274th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where three days a week we work together educating and inspiring you to become part of your food revolution. Healthy food is something everybody wants, delicious and nutritious, and right outside your own door is even better. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or visit IWANTTOGARDEN.COM and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is very active in supporting her local food system. We're talking to Deb Kolaris about small farming and local economies. Trading in her digital marketing agency in Boulder, Colorado for a small farm in rural Virginia, Deb and her husband set out to expand their backyard hobby farming into a slightly larger and more sustainable homestead. While restoring the 1907 farmhouse, they're raising chickens and goats and selling food products on their roadside honor farm stand. Other local micro farms also sell products and goods in Deb's farm stand, and she is working to help improve her local micro economy by networking and supporting small farmers and producers in her county. Her background is in business, but she's always had a passion for making, building, repurposing, and then harvesting the goods from those labors. Welcome to the show today, Deb. Hi, it's good to be here. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Well, I, you know, coming from Boulder, Colorado out here, I uh, had already had some interest in, in farming and we had already started doing some things in, in Boulder mm-hmm. before we left. And we were just kind of running out of uh, room there. But uh-huh. I became interested in farming overall when I was living in Nebraska during college. And I really was interested in the small town aspect and the kindness of the people that live there. And it just really resonated with me. And so I became really intrigued with that whole lifestyle. And there wasn't a lot of things I could do with it at that time because, you know, I was in college. So yeah. uh, I did really take an interest in making things though, and trying to just do stuff like make soap and <laughs> these kinds of things. And oh, I remember nice. getting this <laughs> catalog I got from the body shop out there. And this was, this is decades ago. And it was so they were just kind of starting up in the States. And I just remember getting that catalog and thinking, my God, look at the cool stuff they have in here. And why can't we, you know, do this stuff here? And Mm -hmm. it really kind of intrigued me. And so I had to kind of table it, though, I didn't have enough resources to do anything with that. And I just kind of let it percolate. And so, you know, I kept kept that interest in my head. And and then just continued to pursue business. That's what I've I've all my background is in business. And Mm so uh, I mean, I pursued marketing and whatever, and so started an agency and still had that whole thing in my back of my head, but couldn't do anything with it really because having a marketing agency kind of takes over your your life. And so, right. <laughs> but I did uh, 
pursue it a little bit. I was coordinating the farmer's market that's in Louisville, Colorado, and started working with some vendors there and trying to, you know, help people get seen. You know, some of these vendors were super small and paled in comparison in size of other ones. And, and obviously that market's a lot smaller than the farmer's market that goes on in Boulder. And so it was, it was pretty tough on them, though. You could see there was this, there was this gap. And you know, the smaller places have to pay that same fee right. and they have to take a chunk out of their sales and they got to pay for that space and whatever every week. And you'd see them sometimes leave underwater. They, they lost money that day being there right. because they couldn't compete with these bigger places. And so that just kind of has kind of been in my head. And so when we got here, it was the next step of thinking, how could we coordinate with other small farms and small producers mm. who don't have maybe the, because you clearly hear that car out on my, on my road. Yeah. They don't have the visibility sometimes. And they also sometimes don't know how to reach out. Right. And so that's what I'm hoping to do is take some of my background in marketing and digital wow. marketing and, uh, and kind of help some other businesses yeah. get more business for themselves, but also, you know, we get business at the same time. So, nice. Um, nice. So, so, so just so I get it clear, when you were living in Colorado, you were coordinating with some of the farmers markets to kind of help bring in vendors. And then, right, I was helping with the Louisville uh, farmers market, so it was just that one there. Uh huh. And then w when you landed in Virginia, are you in Virginia? Mm hmm. Yes. Yeah. When you landed in Virginia. You started your own farm stand, and that, that's what we're hearing in the background. Is I, that, At least that's what I made up. It's a, <laughs> those are people coming up to your farm stand and buying something and then going away, right? <laughs> right. So they, uh, we're on a very busy – it's called Highway 33, so it's a, for Virginia, it's a very busy highway. Mm -hmm. And so our even though our farmhouse is set back on the property, there's a great deal of traffic that goes by uh -huh. here. And so – we, we've only been here in August. It'll only be a year that we've been here. So we didn't have enough time to get up our, you know, our huge garden and mm -hmm. all the other things we wanted to do. So we started with our little, you know, just a little honor farm stand out there to start with. And we've been coordinating with some of the, some local farms in the area who are not visible. They're, right. they're not on a busy road like this. They don't have that traffic. And so we, what we do is say, well, how much do you sell your stuff for? And they say, well, we sell it for this. And it's like, okay, well, we'll buy it from you. And then we're going to get it out here on the stand. And so that way wow. you guys have you know, move some product. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, so it's kind of cool. You know, everybody wins because right. they get to move some of the stuff that they're working so hard to grow and produce. And, and we offer a, a bare variety. And then people just come up and get their stuff and they and then they leave their money and they leave. <laughs> and have you found that they pretty people have been pretty good about leaving money behind? That's a good question and people ask that a lot, wonder wondering if people are honorable enough to leave mm -hmm. money in the honor box. And and most everyone has been very good. Uh, there have been exceptions where people have left uh, less than they were supposed to leave. And that's, I, I look at it this way. If they do that, they probably need it more than I need that money. Yeah. Oh, bless you for that. Wow. Cool. That sounds exciting. How many farmers are you kind of working with at your honor stand? Right now, just four. So I expect to grow that because we actually have to build a bigger stand. Mm -hmm. Oh, nice. <laughs> so I don't want to... Uh, you know, until we build the stand, a, a 
to a bigger size and have bigger doors on it and such. Uh-huh. We don't want to, we don't want to have this, uh, the stand we've got that is so small that it's blown up and, mm-hmm. you know, we, it, the stuff is not displayed, you know, nicely and stuff. So we just got some big lodge poles last weekend. Uh, so we're going to try to build a farm, farm stand that's kind of in keeping with the, some of the structures that were built around the time this house was built. Um, oh, nice. This place is built. So when, when was it built? I think I said it in your bio. Uh, uh, 1907. 1907. Wow. 110-year-old building you're living in. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. We're, we feel like we're stewards for this house, so we're trying to undo some of the things that were done to it uh, that were questionable decisions yeah. and trying to, uh, you know, trying to honor the, the way yeah. the house was built and, yeah. and the era it was built in. So we're restoring some stuff, and it's, yeah. Yeah. So tell me about your journey. So you came from Colorado, you ended up in Virginia. And when we talked in our pre-conversation, you mentioned that this is a, this is just a step in your journey. Tell me about that journey. Where are you going? Well, I think we, we see ourselves on a bigger uh, farm, you know, a bigger plot of land. Cause this, this place is actually only an acre and a half. Uh-huh. And we, we fell in love with the house itself and kind of the area it sits in the middle of Virginia wine country. So it's a oh. really neat place. But we would prefer to have a place maybe that had more, we've got a lot of net trees, like huge old 100-year-old net trees and pecan trees and Uh all that. But we have have no orchard or anything like that. And we would really like to have some apples and, you know, some of those kinds of things and maybe more horse pasture because we want a little bit more land that way. Mm -hmm. And and it will also give us more options with with farming so that we can do, you know, experiment with some other crops. And I'd like to get into growing yeah, you know, foraging food for our animals, and mm, I'd like to right. just try to grow as much as we can for them, mm-hmm. so that we don't, you know, have to rely on yeah, buying feed and that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. I, I, that's one of the things that I've been working on here at the urban farm. We have about fifteen hens out back, and I'm I'm working on growing mm-hmm. some of the forage for them, or more, so we don't have to buy as much feed. Right. Well, they're healthier for it too. I, our birds, we have twenty-seven birds, mm-hmm. and they they run, they run this en- entire property. They're everywhere. Even though we've got a nice fenced-in area for them, <laughs> they all hop. They hop the fence, and they're all off in the you know the weeds and whatever. And they're we the grains and stuff that we feed them is minimal compared to some people who have them penned up all the time. You know, right. our chickens are fortunate because they're eating bugs all day long and you know chasing newts and <laughs> yeah so. well and i've even i've even seen our hens chase mice before so yeah yeah that's a good kill too yeah exactly <laughs> exactly exactly so you you went to virginia to run a small farm what what are some of the key ways that you make your small farm manageable gosh that's a great question i think that having systems and setting up systems is probably mm. key key to running something like this. It's when we first got here and I guess I can start from when we first arrived here, there was no fence around this place. We mm-hmm. didn't have any way to contain the chickens and we knew there's wildlife, there's coyotes and fox and raccoons, you know, the typical predators. Right. And so we knew we needed something to contain them. And so that, you know, I think you have to look at things in kind of phases and then just set up systems for it. Otherwise, it's unmanageable. So I think our first thing was getting a containment area for them to protect them mm-hmm. and then having systems for, for for feeding them and for, 
watering and this whole thing goes throughout the whole morning you know every morning it's a we we have a goat uh, that's yep. in milk and so we have to milk her every morning all right yeah <laughs> and then we have and the bucks you know everybody gets fed so it's a matter of systems you know setting these things up to to where you're not running all over the place doing a hundred things and and just it feels disorganized because right. it's a because that can become overwhelming and not make it very joyful yeah so I think it's key to to have, you know, even calendar things if you have to, mm -hmm. uh, mapping your, your week out. Like we're gonna, we have to replenish certain things. You know, our our goats are kind of kind of a little bit bratty. They only prefer they like alfalfa. Uh -huh. They don't like they're not really fond of orchard grass or some other types mm -hmm. of hay. Right. So we really have to plan when we get that. So, you know, putting that on a calendar to say. At this time, we go up to this, you know, this town that's north of us to go get yeah. this particular hay for them. And these days are the days we get, you know, we go to get grains or, or mm -hmm. whatever. But systems, I think, are just imperative. And we produce things from the milk. Oh, right. So if oh, I got to have systems in place for that, too. <laughs> right. So if I don't keep track of that and, and say, OK, today is a cheese day. I have to I have to make cheese today. Mm -hmm. uh, this day I'm making yogurt. I've got to turn that cheese. You know, I've got to. You know, all these things that play into keeping it all kind of moving. Right. Yeah. I, you know, as you're sharing this, Heidi, my sweetheart, Heidi, we have chickens out back and they're basically her chickens. I, <laughs> I care for them some, but she cares for them. But she has but she has a system. And I didn't realize that until you just, you know, you talked about that. She goes out every morning, especially this time of year. It's 100 and, you know, it'll be 110 oh, yeah. degrees outside. So they need to put ice in their water and you know, mm -hmm. make sure they have fresh water every morning. Make sure it's cool. And about midday, we change that out. So we we have some of those systems yep. in place, and it makes it a whole lot easier. Oh yeah, it feels like it's once you kind of have it running, yeah. it feels almost it seems seamless in a way. Right. But but when something goes wrong, and you know that's where you your systems really pay off for you, and yeah. you have to see if they're really running right. Is if something kind of goes sideways, and we have. You know, like we had an incident with a chicken that got really sick a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know if your Heidi is like we are, but if the chicken gets sick, the chicken is in the house. And yep. so the chicken comes in, we've got a crate, and yep. we're caring for that chicken, you know, pretty much around the clock. And yep. so it can throw <laughs> off some of your stuff. But if your system works well, then, you know, not everything is too upset. You know, there's right. just this one additional thing you're having to handle, too. Yeah. So. Having those systems in place are for taking care of the animals. You also mentioned for managing the surplus. And, right. you know, when you have, for me, a month ago, it was surplus apples. I had <laughs> dozens of pounds and maybe even hundreds of pounds of apples that I had to make applesauce out of and apple chips out of right. and, you know, so on right. and so on. Uh, but the other piece, we're, we're going on vacation here soon. And... <laughs> We have to have somebody stay here at the house. So we have to have those yes. systems in place for them as well. Exactly. So what do you do when you go on vacation? Well, we haven't gone on vacation yet. Ah. <laughs> yeah. So what happens right now is uh, my husband still works for the company that he worked for in Boulder. And so mm -hmm. he travels back there. So I'm, I'm usually relegated to stay here and take care of everybody. But we're planning. We have a trip that's on our calendar in August. And so we have a... A farm animal sitter that's supposed to come in and take care of everything so she won't need to stay here at the house uh -huh. because our our dog is going to go to my in-laws house and or with us one or the other and 
you know, there's no real need to stay here. It's, you know, she can come back and forth. She, she lives really close. Yeah. So, yeah, that, but yeah. yeah, so we, you know, we have somebody in the area that we can get to come and do this, but it'll be the first time we've taken off for more than like overnight. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so, so initially we, before we got the goats, we, you know, that's kind of the turning point. The chickens were much easier. Yep. The, the chickens, yeah. it's like, oh, they, they kind of round themselves up at night and get into the pit and then you shut it and everybody's good. Yeah. But the goats are add another level of complexity because we have to milk a goat every morning. Right. And so if you don't milk her, well, you know, she becomes engorged and you know, all the other fun stuff that comes with that. So right. we, we definitely, uh, this will be a, a new experience having somebody for, for a week. So yeah. we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Far- I can't wait. <laughs> farm, farm sitting is a, uh, is a good business out there for, for all of the listeners out there with uh, younger, oh, yeah. younger people in your family, you know, think about, setting up a farm sitting business it's uh there's a couple couple people here in phoenix that we work with and it's really important oh it's vital and if you have somebody who's competent and knows how to handle a you know even a crisis situation with right. a with an animal you know with a chicken or you know with a goat it's really important those are good skills it's different definitely different than house sitting or yeah. watching someone's cat or dog yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> Exactly. Well, and right now here, you know, in Phoenix, like it says, it's 110 degrees during the day. So we have to, you know, the water needs to get changed out on the chickens twice a day. So, you know, just right. little things like that. So yeah. you you said when you moved from Colorado, you had animals there. Did you bring your animals with you? <laughs> we brought most of our chickens with us. Uh-huh. We So, yes, they made the trek. We had to take them to a vet. You, you know, animals, you should probably know, farm animals, you can't just get in the car and take them someplace across state lines and stuff. They have to have, uh, they have to be tested and stuff for diseases. So we had our flock tested and decided on which ones we were leaving and which ones were coming with us. And we were really fortunate. The person that bought our house wanted our goats and wanted some of our chickens. Oh, so, nice. so we left them there and then took the other part of our flock with us and brought them here. And so mm-hmm. they, I think they fared better on the trip than, than we <laughs> yeah. did. They, yeah. they were, Really, really good. They did great on the travel. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, cool. And just packed them in cra- in cages and drove them. Yeah. So they were in a dog crate. So there was a lot of room in there. And we put, mm-hmm. you know, bedding and put a couple perches in there. And uh, it was uh, it was the summer when we were moving, so it was oh hot. Gosh, but yeah. we just kept giving them, you know, giving them treats. And you wouldn't have known that they just <laughs> they're very. They're very sweet animals, and I think yeah. to their credit, they're kind of they're a little bit dumb too. So they probably didn't understand what, what was, was going, going on. on. But they were, gosh, they they didn't they didn't bat an eye when we got them here. They just resumed being chickens when they got here. Oh, so nice. and they laid eggs on the trip. On the oh wow, cool. <laughs> well, yeah, wow, excellent, excellent. And yeah. how many did you bring? Uh, we brought half the flock, so we brought uh, four, four of us, right, four of those cool. chickens with yeah, us, yeah. Nice. and left the others there. So nice. not a yeah, so not brimming, you know, like we have now, but right. So <laughs> why did you decide to sell other people's products at your farm stand? Mainly because I can't produce all of that stuff, mm-hmm. and I don't really want to. I I think that there are things I just don't want to get in the business of making everything or growing everything. And so it's nice to be able to have other people in the area that, that have stuff. Um, I started it primarily initially, at least was I have a pretty good size flock, but I was going through a lot of eggs. And so I was selling out. 
And there were days where I would not have any eggs and I would sit in my window in my office upstairs and look out my window at my little box out there, my, you know, honor box and see if people drive up and then have to leave because they didn't get any eggs. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like a, you know, in business, that's a single point of failure. And so I was very concerned about that. And so I started looking around for somebody who had the same sorts of, the same kind of chicken setup I do where they, Mm -hmm. they let their chickens pasture, you know, free range and, you know, feed them well and care for them or whatever. And so I came into contact with a lady not far from me. And so if I run low on stock, I'm able to get some from her and have plenty to, plenty to sell. So uh, that's kind of what started it here. And Mm -hmm. then it's easy enough for, you know, other people who make, make certain things or, or grow certain vegetables. I've got a, a, one of the other farmers has got cucumbers and stuff that are varieties I don't have. Right. And so it's nice to be able to get some from him and, and put those out there. So, yeah. Nice. nice. The other thing I think of a long term is you had mentioned the apples and how you had such a surplus of them. And I know uh-huh. that that's going to come to pass at some point here where tomatoes are going to blow up and we're going to have so many and I can only produce so many things with them and also sell so many. Yeah. And what I want to do is something similar to, you've heard of like Ample Harvest and Farm to Fork and oh, yes. those kinds of initiatives. Yeah. So I'd love to be able to do that here because it's not really going on right here in my community, mm-hmm. And I, but I'd like to see it happen where people in this area can can donate some of that to, you know, pantries that are in the area of food, yeah. you know, I think it's... It's a good way to get those people food and, and oh, yeah. nutrition that they might not come in contact with ordinarily. Yeah, exactly. Rather than uh, the, the a lot of the packaged stuff that are normally in uh, food pantries. Right. we There's a, exactly. actually a term for that. They're called foodstuffs. It's, uh, right. Yeah, I, re- I realized that or I discovered that recently on a podcast with a, with a nutritionist. And uh, foodstuffs is a item that resembles food, basically. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Resembles, but is not food. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> right. So I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that fairy, and what you might have learned from it. Well, this is a silly, a silly failure, and I because I saw this kind of question before, and it, it's garlic. I can't grow garlic. I have I keep failing at growing it. I've failed every every place I've lived. I have not been able to successfully grow garlic. Uh huh. And even here, I thought I was on track. I had it all planned out and everything, and it just didn't work out for me. But I continue to just keep learning. I, and I'm doing the same thing with other crops. So I'm kind of trying to move past thinking I can't grow garlic, and maybe I'll find some farmer who does, so mm-hmm. then I can sell it at the farm stand. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, I, kind of, I kind of look at it as, a, as an opportunity to just kind of move past it and look at the other crops that I do have a lot of success with because I had the same kind of failures with lavender uh, over the years. Mm-hmm. But here, I've actually been able to grow lavender. So mm. I feel like I've just got to get, get a little bit more in tune with the plants themselves and figure out – uh, what I may have done wrong, but go ahead and just learn a little bit more right. <laughs> and, and, and just keep moving on. But, you know, it's the same thing with other, other crops. I oh, think, yeah. um, I don't have a great success with them. I feel like it, Oh my God, what did I do? It didn't work. <laughs> They're all dead. <laughs> but I think you just move on. So. Right. 
Yeah, and you know the the, the thing there is, I've, I I tell people this all the time. I've killed more plants than you probably ever will. I've been gardening for over forty years, <laughs> not on purpose, but that's right. how. But that's how we learn. That's how we learn. Right. You know, don't be afraid yeah. if you, you know, put in a basil plant or a garlic and it doesn't work. Try something different next time, and you know, <laughs> grow it differently. And I would encourage you to continue trying to go gar- grow garlic. Yeah, I'm gonna try. Yeah. I'm gonna give it another shot. <laughs> so, what do you consider your biggest success? I feel like my successes are other people's successes. I've I've got the opportunity to mentor people over the years, uh-huh. and so it's really been rewarding. And this is in business, not really in farming, but it's been really so fulfilling to see other people that you mentor take off with their businesses or their yeah. plans and their ideas. Mm-hmm. And so those successes are those are things that I've got to enjoy over the last few years for sure. And so. I guess that success for me is success for someone else, if, yeah. that, makes, if that makes sense. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. What drives you? I am I'm driven by learning. I think that I, I've just I've always been thirsty for knowledge and trying to figure things out and trying to make or build or produce or figure out. And I, I think that's what really what drives me. I like to be able to do those things, make my life better make the lives of other people around me better mm-hmm. and so yeah that's kind of what keeps me moving uh, I'm I definitely follow after my dad I'm just a producer I have to be doing things I can't be idle I, I, right. don't, I don't I don't get bored I don't really know what when people say that it makes me a little sad yeah it, <laughs> because it, it, it's like, amazing it has time it? to be yeah. bored <laughs> all right if you're bored go do something about it Right. There's yeah. so many things like, right. oh, God, I, I just, uh, I really churn through my day. And then I look at like right now it's four here. And I'm like, Oh my God, it's four. And I got a lot done today, but I feel like there's all this other stuff I still want to get done. Yeah. You know? So yeah, I, I have that problem. I have a to-do list that I'll never get done in my life. And I add to it every day. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? I really am a fan of Todd Henry. And so his latest book out is called Die Empty. And I would recommend that book because it's, it's, it's sort of that keep, keep going. Don't, don't let hurdles or your own self doubt or the self doubt of other people or whatever step in your way. Mm -hmm. You just work it, you know, keep doing your thing. And you know, the die empty thing is not like be the best or anything. It's just the, keep moving your feet, keep, keep moving towards your ideas, keep moving towards your goals. And yeah, it's a great book. Yeah. He's a, he's a terrific author. It's called Die Empty. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah, I see it here on, on Amazon. Unleash your best work every day. Wow. That sounds cool. Yeah. He's super cool. He's got a really great podcast too. Oh, does he? Oh, very good. Do you know the name mm-hmm. of it? Um, it's the accidental creative. Oh, nice. So Todd Henry and the accidental creative. What one final mm-hmm. piece of advice do you have for our listeners? God, be, be passionate. Live passionately. I think that we just, uh, we're, we're always conforming to things and mm-hmm. I've, my friends are kind of baffled a little bit about what I'm doing right now, but most of them I think are pretty excited and, I think they think that, oh, my God, that's that's crazy. You just, like, sold your agency and moved out there and you're doing all this stuff. And I think it scares people sometimes uh-huh. to take risks like this. Yeah. But I think if you're passionate about the things that you want to do, 
then everything else follows. You're, you know, you don't have to be making a million dollars, you know, a day or anything like that. If you're, if you're enjoying what you do and you're passionate about it, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's such a joyful life, you know? Yeah. So. Amen to that. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Deb. Oh, it's my pleasure. It was really a treat. Oh, it was wonderful to hear from you. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? Well, they can go to the Hop and Hen website, it's hopandhen.com, or they can get a hold of me on Instagram because that's really where I put all my pictures and oh, nice. ideas and stuff up. Uh -huh. So my uh, my handle is the the Kalaris, so T-H-E-K-O-L-A-R-E-S. Perfect. Perfect. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash hop and hen. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Healthy food is something everybody wants, delicious and nutritious, and right outside your own door is even better. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or visit IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.